do want to give you just a couple of things that the Lord has been speaking to me in the last week. Not all of it. I've got a couple pages of notes, but because of the time, I won't, I won't unpack all of it. I asked the Lord last night, I said, Father, what's on your heart tonight? Jesus, what's on your heart tonight? What are you thinking about? He said, I'm thinking about my bride. I'm like, of course you are. <laughs> Jesus is the bridegroom whose love never grows dim for his bride. That same look, like the look in the eyes at the altar, the bride and a bridegroom that fire and that passion and that tenderness that only increases in the eyes of Jesus for his church and for you. He thinks about you, church, he does. He thinks about the pain that you're going through. And the only reason it's there is because he's allowing it to make you stronger and more dependent, more fulfilled in him. It's not because he's negligent, but because he's good. He thinks about the things that you're celebrating in. He celebrates with you. He thinks about the things that you're troubled with. He says, I have answers for those things thinks about your kids more than you think about your kids. I asked him, what are you thinking about? He said, my bride. I said, I want to wash the eyes of my bride so that she can see my love and power for her. I want to wash the eyes of my bride. I felt like, Lord, wash my eyes because I feel like there's been a crustiness. That's Sasha's word, isn't it, Chuck? <laughs> crusty. Our eyes get crusty with the stuff of the world, and it just gets clouded over. We get discouraged and tired and confused and apathetic. That's the worst thing of all is just apathy. The Lord says, I want to wash the eyes of my bride so that she can see the love I have for her. Oh, Jesus, do it. Um, let me teach you just a little bit from John chapter 9 briefly. I'm aware of the time. I'm thankful, though, that the service has gone the way that it is. I, I love it when, I, <laughs> when things get unbridled. I do. I'll abbreviate it, though, from John chapter 9. Jonathan, if you will, bring up the house lights a little bit just because I want to see some faces. John 9, the, the little title above chapter 9 says, Jesus heals a man born blind. 
He does that in chapter 9, but he does a whole lot more than that. There's a lot of layers, a lot of plots to this story. It's not simply just another easy, simple miracle of physical eyes being opened. There's a lot of depth in chapter 9. And I'm still wrestling through with a lot of it means, but a couple things stand out to me that I just want to point out to you. This is happening, in the, by the way, in the context in, in Jerusalem in the autumn around the time of the festival of, of Sukkot, the festival of, of tabernacles. We won't get into a lot of that history, but one of, one of the ways that the ancient Jews celebrated in Jesus' day at the temple um, was, was the lighting of these tall, you know, uh, sort of candlesticks. And each candlestick had, well, you can't even call them candles, more like towers. You know, you'd have to give a ladder to climb up to the top of these. And each of them had four bowls, and it would take about seven gallons of oil in each bowl um, as part of this candle lighting uh, ceremony as part of the festival of Sukkot. And when all of these were lit, tradition says that the, that the glow of the light in the courtyard could be seen for miles and miles and miles around. The whole city was aglow with this light. And Jesus was here in Jerusalem at this time teaching. Gives a lot of, uh, it makes a lot of sense then when he says the words that he's about to say here in a few minutes. So the Bible says that he goes along and he sees a man, the Bible says, blind from birth. That's pretty important. We know that he's blind from birth. He has never in his life seen anything apart from darkness. Doesn't even know what darkness is. There's just nothing. The Bible, the disciples then ask him this question. They're thinking things. They're thinking theologically. You know, they're not, they're not going to bother to heal him yet. They just want to know who sinned, this man or his parents. Somebody sinned because this is a curse. Being born blind from birth is a curse. It's not an accident. You know, it didn't fall and poke your eye. This is a curse caused by something. So the disciples want to know, Jesus, who, who is the root of this? Is it this? Did this man do something? Which doesn't make any sense because how could you do something before you're born to get blind from birth? But whatever, you know. Um, or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus says, neither one. He combats their faulty assumption. He says, honestly, this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he's about to make some strong statements about who he is. And he's going to give some stories, some contrast of darkness and light. And he points to this situation and says, this situation here is profound darkness. This is a result of the enemy, the kingdom of darkness right here. It's not because this man sinned or his, or his parents sinned, but this has happened. The darkness is here so that the light will stand in sharp contrast. He's going to show them what that means. But this has happened that the works of God might be displayed. And he goes on to say this verse five, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Imagine that then with the light of these things in the courtyard beaming for miles around. He says, I am, that's me. I am the light of the world. This is darkness, but I'm the light of the world. And then he does something very unusual. By the, and I noted this, by the way, this is, there's no request for healing. Often the people in, 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 in Jesus, in, in the gospels, they ask for healing, like Bartimaeus by the side of the road, you know, asking for healing or the lady coming up and touching the hem of his garment or a parent coming and asking for help. Usually there's a request for healing. In this case, there's no request for healing. Jesus takes it upon himself. I take a lot of encouragement in that. 
because the the origination of healing for you is not in you. Do you know what I'm saying by that? The desire to bring about breakthrough in your life doesn't begin with you. It begins with the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus. He is the one who is already on the lookout. I talked about this last week, the eyes of the, old, the, eyes of the Lord roam the earth, looking for those whose hearts, that he may, he may strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. Anyway, so there's no request for healing. This happened. Um, and then he does something very unusual. He spits into the ground, you know, kind of spits saliva in the ground, mixes it up with mud, and he puts it on the man's eyes. Just imagine this poor guy there then. He's... <laughs> sitting in the same spot. If you're blind, you have routine. Blind men and women depend upon routine. How many steps is it to this place? What does this feel like? What is the ground beneath me? Am I in the right spot? Am I in the right place? What are the, what are the sounds am I hearing? Is this familiar to me? Okay, I'm here. And this man would have been very familiar with where he is. And it's possible he even would have heard the, 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 the noise of the crowds, the noise of these thousands of, of pilgrims there in Jerusalem. It's likely he would have heard even the voice of this, of this rabbi, Yeshua, Yeshua bar Yusuf, Jesus, son of Joseph, who is teaching out. But he doesn't, doesn't really know what's going on. And the next thing you know, there's something wet and moist pushing into his, 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 his non-functional eyes. And then the voice says this, he says, go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. I asked the Lord some about this last night. I said, that's, that's, that's weird, Lord. Why, you know, why couldn't you just heal him? Why not just say, your faith has healed you, your eyes are opened up. It's so much easier. Why can't he just, you know, speak a word and the eyes are open? He has the power to do that. Why, why put this man through such humiliation? It's a long walk when you're blind. It's a long walk from where they are to the pool of Siloam, especially during this crowded festival season. Imagine just bumping through, through, through crowds and jostling through crowds and trying to find your way to this place. All the while, this mud is crusting, crusting on your eyes. I think a couple reasons. One, there's... In this case, there's an obedience that's required for healing. God wants you to participate in your own breakthrough and in your own healing. That's why we give encouragement. If you have a word, if we've given a word of knowledge, come take that step to the front. Does that mean God won't meet you where you are? No, it doesn't mean that. But there's something about sort of this, this, this movement towards what God is doing. And then Jesus says, you're going to heal, but first you have to do this. I think there's another reason. I think the reason is that Jesus wanted him, this man, to be sort of away from Jesus. He didn't want him to see his face. He didn't want the first thing that he sees when he opens his eyes to be Jesus. He wanted him to be away, and there's a reason for that. And I want to kind of un unpack that a little bit here. So he sends a man away, and, and, and he sends a man, and, and pay attention to these, these 10 words here in chapter 7. Um, and I think we do have this up here if you want to pull it up, John 9. John chapter 9, verse 10. So he sends, a, he, he, he puts mud on the man's eyes and he says to the man, go and wash your eyes. And then the next 10 words are a little bit underwhelming. Flip on a little bit more, Emma, if you will. Verse 
these 10 words uh, on chapter 7 say this, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. That's awesome. Those 10 words sort of defy the laws of, of physics, the laws of medicine. Those 10 words contain a miracle themselves. This man did not see from the day he was born. He goes, he washes in water, probably not sterile water. He had mud in his eyes. And the next thing you know, when he comes home, he is seeing. That's huge. If I'm the gospel writer, like I'm spending a whole lot of time on that. I'm building up that. I'm making this like this incredible thing. You know, if I'm a storyteller, this is like the climax of the story, but it's not. It's not the, in fact, it's kind of underwhelming. Like, okay, he goes home and he comes back seeing. It's like, oh. And the reason is because that's not the primary issue in this story. The physical is not the primary need. And I'm, I've, I've come to this understanding the more that I'm, I'm walking in, in, in sort of prophetic ministry, healing ministry, is I'm realizing that quite often the physical need that, that represents itself to you is not the real issue. At least not the primary issue that God wants to deal with. How many of you found that to be true? So from chapter, chapter 8, or, or verse 8, all the way nearly to the end of the chapter, nearly to 34, is what I, I wrote in my Bible. I wrote fallout. You know what fallout is? Like when you drop a bomb, like when you drop a nuclear bomb, there's like the mushroom cloud. You know, that's the initial explosion. Boom, the healing, that's kind of the initial explosion. But the fallout is like all this like residual drama that unfolds because of this. And there is an incredible amount of drama that unfolds because of this. It's like Jesus has ignited a firestorm here in Jerusalem in the middle of this festival of Sukkot, surrounded by all these people. Jesus has taken a match. He has lit this match to this keg of dynamite, and he has just blown it up out of the water and is about to catch fire. Goes on to say this, his neighbors, these, these, the, the, the man, neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, seen him begging said, isn't this the same man who used to see? They're, 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 just, they're astonished. Isn't this the same one? Isn't this the same one that we used to see? Some of them said, no, he isn't. It only looks like him. But the man says, guys, it's really me. He insisted. They're, his friends aren't even believing him. No, you're not. You're not the same guy. He's like, yes, it is. I'm the same one who was there. He insisted it was him. Um, how then were your eyes open? They asked him. So they're going to ask him some questions. How are your eyes open? He said, a man they called Jesus. He tells a story. A man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes, and sent me to wash. I went and washed. The next thing you know, I could see. And they said, where is this man? He said, I don't know. That's important. Jesus sent him away, and then Jesus disappears. The Pharisees then get learn of this. And his friends bring the man to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees begin to grill him. How did this happen, they said. The Bible makes it clear this happened on Sabbath. Remember, Sabbath is a holy day for the, for the ancient Jewish people. It's a day where you do no work whatsoever. All of your meals are prepared beforehand. All of your, everything is done the day before sunset. You don't work on Sabbath day. And the Bible says that this man was healed on Sabbath day. The Pharisees call, him, call this man in. 
they say, uh, tell us what happened. And he tells a story. Hey, I found this guy, he put mud on my eyes, went home and I washed, he could see. And the Pharisees, of course, begin to accuse Jesus. They say, well, he's not, he's not of God. Because clearly, a man of God would not do this on the Sabbath day. And the, kid, the young man's like, look, you know what? I, I don't know what to tell you. And they said, what do you think? What do you think he is? And he says, well, I guess he's a prophet. And what's the, what's the kid to say, you know? It's like, I don't know. All I know is, you know, and he goes on to say it. So they keep, they keep accusing him. You know, they, they bring in his parents. His parents say, look, we don't have anything to do with this. You know, they're afraid of the Pharisees. They say, why don't you ask our son? He can answer for himself. They bring the son back in. They keep grilling him. A second time, they summon the man who'd been born blind. They say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They're putting the tightening in the screws on him. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man, whoever it is, we know this man is a sinner. And he replied, talking about Jesus, the Pharisees say, we know this Yeshua, we know of his reputation. He's bad news. So why don't you give glory to God and tell us? And here's the reason this is a big deal to them, because the Pharisees believed that the curse of blindness from birth was so powerful, only a true miracle of God could open up the eyes of a man born from birth. That's important to realize. So powerful. And all of a sudden, they're face to face with something that they can't explain, but they can't accredit either. So looking at this man and say, tell us the truth. It could not have been Yeshua because he is a sinner. Tell us who really did. What man of God prayed for you? And the man says this. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind. Now I see. Here's the point of that. The man has had a supernatural encounter with Jesus, but he is still profoundly unaware of who he is. Man, that's, that's true of a lot of us. It's true of a lot of people in the church today, a lot of people in history. We've had these incredible encounters with the Lord, but we still don't really know who Jesus is. Look what he says, verse 12, comes to him, where is this man? He's like, I don't know. It seems to me that, that like when you're healed, you're running all the way back to Jesus. You're going to find him. Like whoever did, the, who put mud on my eyes? Have you seen him? Did you see what he looked like? What he, there, was, there was this guy, he put mud on my eyes. He sent me to wash, now I'm healed. I got to find him. I got to find him. I got to find him. He says, look, I don't, by his own admission in verse 12, he says, I don't know. Verse 17, the only thing he can say is, I, I don't know much about the guy. I guess he's a prophet. They accuse him. Verse 25. Is he a sinner? Guy says, I don't know. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is my own experience. All I know is the one thing is that my life has gone from darkness to light. And that's good, by the way. God wants to do supernatural encounters in people, right? He does, he does, he does. He wants to do breakthrough all the time. And this, this fallout ends with this violent confrontation. Look at what they say to him. They get mad at him. He gets mad at them. They say ugly things to him. He says ugly things right back to him. It's really funny. At the end of this, in verse 34, they reply, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they promptly threw him out. Hallelujah. Come on. Don't you love the religious leaders? 
The enemy wants nothing more than to discard your testimony. He wants to discredit it. He wants to discard it. He wants to minimize it. He wants you to find every reason in the world why what you've experienced in the Lord isn't possible or real or lasting. And he wants to take you by the scruff of your shoulders and throw you out and call you nothing but a sinner. But look what happens next. This is cool. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, I love this. It's like we're beginning to see his secret agenda all along. We see exactly now why he put mud on the eyes of Miss Cynthia. He's like, it's almost like it was like this, this is like, okay, you know what? I'm going to heal this guy's blind eyes. He spits in the mud. He makes it, he puts it in there. He's like, but I'm going to do something even greater. Watch this, disciples. And he sends the guy away. And then Jesus goes into hiding for a while. And then the word comes back, hey, Jesus asked around, what happened to the guy? What happened to the man I healed? Oh, you know what? He was in the temple and the disciple and the Pharisees kicked him out. They threw him out. He said, let's go find him. Man. It begins with Jesus, doesn't it? He's pursuing us. When he found him, he said this, do you believe in the son of man? There's a greater encounter we need to have than simply a miraculous encounter. That's not enough. It's not enough to get a prophetic word. It's not enough to get a healing. It's not enough to go to a conference or somewhere else and be knocked over in the Holy Spirit and be soaking in the river of the Holy Ghost. It's not enough to have that. We need to answer that question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And these signs, these things that are happening in the Gospels, the Bible calls them, we call them miracles. The Bible calls them what? Signs. You know what a sign does? Points you to something else, right? Driving down the road, you see something up here. It says, you know, Wilmore, 10 miles, or hybrids, 5 miles. That means it's pointing you to something else. These signs are meant to point us to something else, to point us to the reality of who Jesus is. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a way maker. He's the living Christ, the Son of Man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And remember now that this man is seeing for the first time. And the teacher comes up to him. And he's never seen the teacher. He's never laid eyes on Jesus. Never seen him in his life. Doesn't know what he looks like. But a man is standing in front of you, in front of him saying, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answers, well, who is he, sir? Tell me that I can believe. It's like, I, you know what? I, 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 I want to, I want to, because obviously there's this atmosphere of miracles that just happened to me. 
Some, something, someone is in this area. Someone is here on the earth that is doing things that cannot be explained. Obviously, we have shifted into this new kind of reality. The Son of Man has to be here. No, I don't know who he is. I want to believe him. Show me who he is. Take me to him. My eyes have opened, but my eyes aren't open yet. Jesus says, you have now seen him. He's the one speaking with you. And Jesus is having the time of his life. He's enjoying this. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And those 12 words, those are seismic. Those are tectonic shifts. Those are eternal words. I believe, though, the Lord just wants to have us anchored in both of those realities. Both of those realities. That God sees you your condition, your need, your brokenness. He sees it, he does. And he has the power and the heart to change it. Not just for you, but for the community around you, for the people around you, for the ones like David who live in Harrodsburg battling alcoholism to the point where he can't leave his house. Crying out to be freed of this addiction that he's under. Afraid to die, but afraid to live at the same time. God sees him more than I do. God has a heart and the power to fix that more than I do. He sees it. But it's not enough just to be touched by Jesus. It's not what he came for. He came to be the king of every heart, didn't he? Mm. All right, hey, stand with me, friends. We have a song, don't we? We have one more one, it's a good one too. I love this one, come on. Hey, this is a day, eyes open, looking at Jesus. He wants to touch eyes, he wants to touch bodies, but he wants to be the Lord. Lord, I believe. That's the response to the gospel right there. If you've never done that, today's a day to do it, come on. You've never walked out of darkness into light. This is a good day to do it. It's so much better in the light. Oh, all right. Come on. Lord Jesus, we bless your name. We thank you. You are the light of the world. Shining, Lord, into the dark places. Opening the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf. 
making the lame to walk again, giving the orphan a home. We bless you for these things, Lord. We bless you that you've brought the kingdom in its power and its love. You have opened the floodgates to us here in Lexington. Increase it, Lord God, increase it. Lord, we believe. We believe, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus.